Galatian passages and a few others of the, the idea that there's two ways to live. There's two ways to live as far as the Christian life. Okay, so Galatians chapter 3, let's read verses 1 through 7. I'm going to try to give you, we're trying to read some verses in Galatians so you get the thought and the, the mentality, the logic of Paul that he's teaching us. And that's the basis of the theme here, two ways to live the Christian Christian life. So notice Galatians 3 verses 1 through, we'll just read verses 1 through 7, then we're going to look in chapter 5. Notice it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness." Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So let's just go ahead and discuss this for a few moments. We're just going to talk about what was stated there. Um, if you are actually, let's back up. I want you to see a thought that Paul has in chapter 2. Look at this in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Look at verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So what Paul's doing there in chapter 2, he does it really throughout the book, but particularly from going from chapter 2 to chapter 3, Paul says this. There's only one way to get justified with God. There's only one way for God to say, all right, you're good, you're righteous, you're clear, you're um, accepted, you're, right, you're righteous. That's what justified means. I declare you righteous. There's only one way for God to look at somebody, evaluate them, and say, you are righteous. There's only one way. And it's by faith alone in Christ alone. It's imputed to us. When we believe on Christ, it's imputed to our account that we're righteous as Christ is. So God justifies you and I. He looks at you and says, you're righteous by virtue of your faith in Christ, I, I look at you as in Him, and I see Him. And so Paul makes a case, not just in Galatians, but throughout you know, the other epistles, especially Romans, that we're justified, we're declared righteous, we're acceptable to God only by faith. Now that's in contrast to what a lot, what's the other uh, theme in Galatians is, well, isn't doing the law help? me get justified before God? Nope, not a bit. 
So there was people in this day that said, well, yeah, I believe on Jesus, but you got to keep doing the law. You got to go through, you need to practice the Jewish circumcision. You need to keep the Sabbaths and the holy days and the, and whatever. I don't know how many other laws. I mean, there's, there's so many laws. They said, yeah, believe in Jesus, but you better keep up on the Jewish laws else God won't see you as acceptable for eternal life. And Paul says, no way, Jose. Says that knowing that a man, verse 16 of chapter 2, is not declared righteous, he's not justified by the works of the law. He just doesn't work that way. By the works of the law, look at the end of the verse 16. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So Paul makes a case this. There's only one way to be declared righteous and acceptable before God. It's just by faith in Jesus. The simplicity of it is, human, is humbling. Now again, religions back 2,000 years ago, and even before that, up to today, they, com- they complexicate it. Yes, Jesus, but then, you know, be baptized and catechized and uh, confirmized and whatever. I mean, they add stuff or uh, all kinds of things. And our Mormon friends will do the same thing. Of course, they're talking about a different Jesus in the first place, but they add a lot of stuff. Jehovah's Witnesses do. They're talking about a different Jesus too. The Catholics do. They're about, kind of talking about the same Jesus, but they add a lot of stuff. The Church of Christ, uh, also called Disciples of Christ, sometimes goes by Christian church names. They say believe on Jesus, but you got to get baptized. They're adding something. They're adding something, adding something. So, um, so Paul makes the case there's only one way to be justified. But then when you go to chapter 3, that's why I read chapter 3 a little bit, give you a sample. He says this, look at verse, the verses again, verse 2. This only what I learned, chapter 3, verse 2, this only what I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. So I think he's, the Galatians is a region, and there are several churches in this one region, okay? It's not one church. Some of the other epistles are single churches, but this is a region. And he says, because there was some false teaching that was being spread, he says, did you get, when you were, did you receive the Holy Spirit because you just believed on Jesus? Received ye the Spirit by the, by, no, in the way he asks it, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you get the Holy Spirit because you're keeping God's law and God says, all right, you're good, I, I give you my Spirit and you're saved? Or Galatians, did you receive it by the hearing of faith? The answer is they just heard and they believed. Then he says, look at verse 3. I want you to catch his logic. This isn't Pastor Henry's, um, you know, logic here. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So how did they begin their Christian life? They had faith in Jesus. They didn't embrace law, a recipe of works of the law. They had faith in Jesus. They heard, they believed, and they received the Holy Spirit of God. So he says, okay, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you began your Christian life, but with that gift of the Holy Spirit, are you going to now complete this thing by depending on the flesh? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? What he's saying is, okay, I'll just tell you the kind of the big idea. The big idea is Paul proves there's only one way to be justified. There's two ways to live thereafter. You can live in the flesh after you've been saved by faith and received the Holy Spirit. You can continue to live in the, my efforts, 
my ways. Or you can continue to live in dependence on the gift that was given you at salvation, the Holy Spirit, continue to depend on that, continue to live by faith. That's how, see, the way you get saved is the way you're supposed to also live. You got saved by grace through faith, now you need to live by grace through faith. The reason I'm saying that is because Paul made that a theme in, in this book. Apparently there was Christians who thought, thanks Jesus for the free gift, but now it's up to us. You know, it's up to us. I'm going to complete this thing in the flesh and um, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to keep all the laws and or whatever standards that people set for me, whatever. No, you're not going to. Without them, you can do nothing. Let's look at some other verses here. Look at um, chapter 5, 15 to 17. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. What's going to happen here? We referred to this actually, I think, Derek referred to some verses last Sunday morning. I referred to some in this chapter last Sunday morning. Paul's contrasting the, the, what it looks like to live in the, in the flesh and what it looks like to live in the Spirit. And it's ugly living in the flesh, and it's beautiful and fruitful living in the Spirit. And notice some of the, we'll pick up on his words here in the doctrine, chapter 5, verse 15. But if ye divide, bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Oh, that's ugly. You ever see Christians bite and devour one another? That's ugly. So he says this, verse 16, But this I, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and he, just, and he enumerates all these ugly things that will happen if you live your self-centered life. Now look at verses um, 24 to 25. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So here's what I want to do. I'll kind of make it clear. So what in the flesh is and what in the Spirit is. And then we'll look at some other scriptures. So when he says, again, what does he say? Uh, Verse 16, walk in the Spirit, you shall not feel the lust of the flesh. The flesh desires against what the Spirit wants. Verse 17, the Spirit desires against what the flesh wants. They're, they conflict. Verse um, uh, 24, crucify the flesh. So in the Bible, it talks about not living, do not live in the flesh. What? That's what I'm standing in right now. I'm in the flesh. This is flesh. This is, you know, the idea the, in the Bible sense of what it's saying the flesh is, it means that self-centered nature, living in cooperation to our self-centered nature, that's living in the flesh. Now, we are, I, I mean, if somebody were to destroy my body right here, I wouldn't really be living the Christian life anymore. I'd be up in heaven, floating around, waiting for a new one. So it's not talking about, you know, the muscles that you are operating in and the blood pumping and giving you basic human energy. It's talking about that other, that, that nature, that carnal nature, living in cooperation, living in, based on everything I do. Here's living in the flesh, where everything I do, is based on me and self. 
That's what he says. The works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lascivious, idolatry, emulations, wrath. That's all me, me. Ah, It's that natural Adamic nature wanting to just express itself. And not, and not only is living in the flesh living self-centered, but it also living in the flesh means living self-dependent. Self-dependent. And that's what Paul's showing here in this book. He's showing the, he's showing the Galatians, you didn't depend on Christ. You didn't depend on self or on the law to get saved, nor should you depend on self or the law to continue living the Christian life. If you do, that's still living in the flesh. Do you know sometimes, so the, the living in the, sometimes living in the flesh, we think, oh, it's just a, a, it's a man who's a very carnal Christian. You know, he does, a, he sins a lot, he does all these bad things. But you know, people that show up at good churches like this still live in the flesh. Where it's like, I'm going to do it on my own, or, or I'm going to, I'm going to, they're just kind of like self-determined, and I, I, can, I can try to keep God's ways, God's standard, kind of in a self-dependent, self-determined way. And what happens is, here's what happens. I've seen Christians like this, and it's sometimes maybe it's because of the preaching that's happened in some churches. We make it sound like, if you do this, this, and this, and this, this little recipe of good works in our circles, you'll be a good Christian. Well, if listen, um, you, you'll be exhausted trying to keep the laws of men and standards of men, even of good men. And if you're, self, if you're living in a self-dependent way, it's still living in the flesh. It's still living in the flesh. It may not show as much sin in it, but it's still in the flesh. Paul says you can live in the flesh or you can live in the Spirit. Again, what's the phrase there, verse 16? And I'll try to define it in what I think he's meaning. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then look what it says, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So what does that mean? So living in the flesh is based on self-centeredness, operating based on a self-centered and self-dependent nature. That's living in my flesh. Where I do what I like. If it's not just that I'm doing things that are me-centered, I'm just doing maybe things that I know God wants me to do, but I'm depending on myself. That's still in the flesh. Or I could say, like Paul, I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit. I'm supposed to live in this. I'm supposed to um, uh, depend on the Holy Spirit of God. I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Living the Christian life in the Spirit is not, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean living in some euphoria. It doesn't mean living in some emotional experience. It doesn't mean living in some mystical experience. It means living in trust and in cooperation with what the Holy Spirit is leading you, showing you, and what you already know is, is His desires. Living in the Spirit live, means to live in trust and cooperation with the desires and leading of God's Spirit. It means To live in the Spirit means to live in yieldedness to Him versus yieldedness to my nature, my carnal nature. When, I'm, when somebody's provoking me to anger, yield to my carnal nature or I could yield to the new nature that he put in me and the Holy Spirit. Living in the Spirit means living in yieldedness to him and abandonness to my old self-centered nature. And Paul says, you can, Chris, go ahead, you're saved. You can go ahead and control on in the flesh. It'll wear you out. Or you can live in cooperation with God's Spirit, abandoning self, um, so I remember 
It was kind of funny. I remember brother, we had Brother Getch preach, John Getch preach our um, revival meetings earlier in the year. It was a blessing. And I remember him telling a story one time. I, th- I don't know where it was at, maybe at leadership conference, and, or I can't remember, but I think it was at a leadership conference to a session with some leaders. And I don't remember his theme, but I remember him sharing this story. He said, uh, and the idea, the point of the story is that you can do something that's viewed as spiritual, but actually be in the flesh and have an unspiritual attitude about it, okay? You can do something that's viewed as spiritual, but actually be in the flesh and have an unspiritual attitude. And he tells a story of himself, he tells on himself. He says when he was traveling in evangelism, he was, um, uh, he's more stationary now at the college, but he, they had a trailer and he had his wife and a few kids and, and they went just like a lot of the evangelists from different churches and they lived out of their, their trailer. And uh, he said he was fasting for something. I, he didn't say what it was, but he was, fa- he, was t- he was seeking the Lord on something and it involved some fasting. And um, I'm assuming it was days for him. And um, he was fasting, and he said, he said, after a while, he says, my kids, he said, he said they, they, he would come, and he'd come walking. They'd be in the trailer, and they'd be sitting down to eat, and, and he'd come in, and, and uh, you know, he wouldn't eat with them. And, the, and then they're like, what, what, why isn't Dad eating? Uh, he said, well, he's fasting. Oh, okay, okay. And so they'd go about, they'd eat, and they'd go about their business. And then after a while, the kid's are like, man, Dad's just edgy. Kind of a grump. He's cranky, you know. What's the deal with him? I'm like what? And then they just, you know, they're just kind of like, man, we don't like this fasting. This dad who fasts here, you know. And so they came in another time, and when they were they're eating, and dad came in, brother Getz came in, and he didn't, or he went in his room or whatever. He didn't, he didn't eat with them, and they were sitting down eating. One of the kids like, man, he said, why didn't dad just eat, you know? Can he just, why don't he just eat so he'll be better about this thing instead of being a big old grump, you know? And the point is, they didn't understand how spiritual this was because he wasn't acting spiritual. You know, they're like, just eat some food. Maybe it'll make him better. Maybe it'll be more spiritual. The idea is that you can do something that seems spiritual, but just have a, such a carnal attitude about it, you know? Get out of here, I'm praying. You know, I'm fasting. You know, Why? You know, in other words, we can do something that has a spiritual, usual kind of a, a reputation to it, but I just have a carnal attitude about it. Then throw it in the garbage. Throw it in the garbage. I don't care what it is. Um, but if we just say yield, you know, I'm not going to yield to my self-centeredness. I'm not going to yield to my self-dependent nature. I'm just going to yield to God's spirit, God's word. And, you know, that's living in the Spirit. It's not, again, again, it's not some... I was talking to a lady the other day, and um, she, she goes to another church, and she's, she was talking about, well, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, and my husband went to this other church that was kind of opposite worship styles, and we got married and all this, and she's trying to describe some things, and, and she says, man, I just miss going to... I just feel like the Spirit's just not there. And what she was saying is she wants a hyped-up emotional... Bing, going, baby. You know, in the service where you just feel the spirit. And look, I'm just, and my thought is, you know, the Holy Spirit does move and give us emotional feelings. But I thought that I almost felt like that's the only thing she knew was spiritual was when there was emotional or frenzy. 
And that's not. It's not isolated only to that. And sometimes I think it's actually the opposite in some of those so-called charismatic churches when it's all hyped up and they say it's the Spirit. No, I think it's actually the flesh. You know, you confuse some of your um, nightclub music the night before for what you have in church with some Christian words and you're hyped up about it and think it's in the Spirit. No, it's just in the flesh with Christian words. But I'm just saying again that Paul is trying, he makes the case. In fact, let's just go to a few more scriptures here. Um, Romans 8, and then I'll give another example and we'll wind this down. I, I, let me just tell you this. I'm t- what, in spite of how small I'm showing you, t- this is a ma- this is an important theme, what I'm trying to describe. I'm fumbling through it. This is an important theme for the Christian life. I'll just tell you this. I've seen Christians... And I've kind of battled it sometimes myself. I've seen Christians just fail on this thought. They, 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 I'm saved. I know Jesus is my Savior. I didn't work to be saved, but I'm going to just make it work. In my, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make that work. And, you know, I, um, uh, it's like all, I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try to be holy. I'm going to, all these things. And they even look to the maybe standards of good Christian leaders and try to follow them and all that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with standards. But they, it's like they just become in the flesh. It's like, no, I need to live by God's word. Yes, clearly stated statements of God's word and apply them. But independence of God's spirit. Otherwise, it's a rigorous journey. It's a rigorous journey. So let's look at a couple things. Romans 8. I'll pick up just a few verses in the chapter here. Look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. I am interested since I was born of the Spirit, and so were you. I need to be interested in everything that is of the Holy Spirit. The power that I need to really live a meaningful Christian life is of the Spirit. I'm going to grow old. Everybody's growing old. Next day you're growing a little older. But I'm growing old, and I won't have physical energy. But what? What little exertion, what little expression I have of my Christian life, I want it to be where it's, it's the Holy Spirit producing what I am. What little good character is seen, I want it to be that the Holy Spirit has produced that. I want to live in the Spirit. Look at 12, 13, and 14 of this chapter. Eight, chapter 8, verse 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. I am not obligated to live a Christian life that's dependent on the me energy. Did you see that verse? We are debtors. I am obligated not. Let me say it another way. We are not obligated to live the Christian life in our own energy. That's what he's saying. We are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's a good verse. And then um, John 6, 63, I'll quote it. Jesus was speaking and he spoke these spiritual words that they didn't understand. He says, the, the flesh profiteth nothing. It is a spirit that quickeneth. Uh, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This, in other words, the spiritual, it is the spiritual thing that makes the Christianity alive. The flesh profits nothing. You know, it's interesting, just a curious observation to me in Genesis chapter 1, I find it interesting that 
Um, think about this. Now, what is it? Okay, what does Genesis 1-1 say, by memory? What does it say? In the beginning, God created the... Go ahead, Calder. The heaven and the earth. In the beginning, that's what he did. And then, what's verse 2? Anybody quote verse 2? Kind of a gist of it. Anybody got an idea? And the... Go ahead. And void, and the, the, I believe the verse keeps going. Anybody know the rest? Okay, yeah, okay. Let, let, well, I'm going to take a peek at it now. Okay, and the earth was without form and void, and that's right, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Hmm. So the earth was, when it says, this is what I believe, when it says without form and void, I mean, I think it believes it had no features to it. It was empty. There's no, without form and void, it's just featureless. I don't think there's a, Chaotic earth thing. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now notice the next sentence if you're there. Genesis 1, verse 2, the last half. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then after that, God started saying, let's have this, let's have this, let's have this, let's have this. Do you know the Bible says that the Spirit of God was involved in creating the in creating what we have. It's almost like what gave the earth features was the Spirit of God moving among the creation. And I think what gives my Christian life features is me yielding to the Spirit of God. And same with you. Um, It's kind of like, I've used this example before, but it's helped me. It really has. And I haven't actually done this, but I've seen it. Let's imagine that we're going across the lake and... um, Actually, this was fun. I, I, when I was uh, probably eight or nine, how old was I? One of the times I went, maybe nine or so, I went to, uh, I have family in upstate New York, just like my wife's family does. And one of our families, one of our extended family members, it's like a second cousin, lived by, have you ever heard of the Finger Lakes? In upstate New York, there's these, they're called the Finger Lakes. And uh, they're kind of like, I think three or four fingers on a map, you know, if you look at it that way. One of our family's members either had a, either they actually lived right on the the, um, the coast or the, the shore. They either lived there or they were renting it. I can't remember, but that was one of the funnest times I ever had. We went over there. We stayed with this cousin uh, or uncle, whoever it was. And me and another cousin went out. This is in the summertime. The water was perfect. We went out on a boat um, and right in the, just maybe, I don't know, 30 yards out in the lake, and we just played on this, I mean, it's just like a little fishing boat, you know, like from here to my dad, you know, and we were out on it, we had oars and stuff, and, and um, we, man, it was fun. We would just play around. We'd, we'd, we'd actually on purpose, like, kind of rock it like this and flip it over. Oh, and we like, can we survive? You know, and we'd crawl on the top of the capsized boat. Oh, we sort of, we were pretending, you know, like we were, and it was fun, you know, and then, then we were so tired, like, oh, we got to row back, you know, I mean, we're tired rowing back. But I started thinking, what, you know, what if we, you know, what if you have a big, large lake? There's some huge lakes. I think one of the, well, like in Michigan, one of the lakes in Michigan, those are big, and I think in Russia, they have some big lakes. Some are huge. Imagine having to, you have a boat, and you have oars, and they say, get across that lake. You know, you could do it. You're just like, man, I go across this lake and you're roaring and or, or you know paddling yourself or whatever with the oars and and um, 
and maybe the, even the wind's blowing. And, Man, this is hard. This is hard. Or you, or you could, if 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 they if they have it, you could say, oh wait, there's a mast, and and here's a sail. You can just throw it out there. I've never done it. I'd like to try it. Pull up the mast, pull out the sail, whatever your strings you do there, and you just basically put it up and harness the wind. And you basically throw it out there to depend on the wind. You hoist up your sail and you cooperate with the wind depending on its direction and its thrust. And you just kind of manage that instead of going, you know. I don't, now, those one guys that have in those real long boats, you know, that looks pretty cool because you got four or five, six, seven, eight other guys doing this that are like 20-something years old and fit, you know. But if you're by yourself in a boat and there's just a sail, all right, let's depend on what wind there is, else it's hard rowing in the flesh, you know. And I, I think that's an image of the Christian life uh, that um, I got to depend. I mean, again, my body physically wears out. Your body physically wears out. We get mentally tired. I understand that. But actually, the expressions of our Christian life and the, the way we apply our Christian life needs to be constantly depending on God's spirit, not self nor in a self-centered way. And I think that is a major theme, especially of Paul. So let's ask God to bless this truth tonight. Thank you, Lord, for you being there for us. And we want to live in the Spirit. And I know that um, you